Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, President of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, and welcome to Israel and You, where we bring Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Israel and You is a ministry of Israel Team Advocates International. I'm your host, Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates. And I have a wonderful word of encouragement for you today. We're going to talk about the book of Esther, specifically the Feast of Esther, also known as the Jewish Feast of Purim. We just celebrated Purim a few days ago. And I want to tell you what I believe is the theme of this Jewish feast. Here it is. Are you ready? Deliverance and enlargement. We will see today that God does not just prioritize your deliverance from trial, but also your expansion and enlargement through the trial. What a great truth for us today after experiencing a very difficult year of restriction and confinement due to a worldwide pandemic. People have lost loved ones, employment, and income. It seems that the horizon of our lives, instead of expanding, has grown smaller as we face this plague. But we're going to see today from a, the Jewish scriptures that God does not only plan for your deliverance from this trial, but he also has a plan to enlarge your sphere of influence and expand the borders of your horizon. This principle of deliverance and enlargement is found right in the book of Esther in the Bible. And before we jump into this topic of the Feast of Esther and God's program of deliverance and enlargement, I want to give you the why of Israel team's passion. Israel team is playing its part in turning the tide of anti-Semitism, anti-Israelism that is exponentially growing in America. A good part of Israel team's focus is on Christian college campuses where millennial age evangelical students are rapidly changing their views about Israel and adopting negative and hostile ideas about the Jewish state. You might ask, well, what is driving anti-Israelism today and anti-Israel agenda? Well, there's a few things. First of all, the social justice movement. Uh, in the eyes of this movement, Israel is an oppressive country that destroys the human rights of Arab people living in the region. Well, this is simply untrue. There are over one million Arab citizens living in Israel who enjoy the most favorable human rights in the Middle East. Arab citizens enjoy the right to vote in Israel elections. Some even serve in the Israeli Supreme Court. They serve in the Israeli military as well. Israel is a small country. Think about this, about the size of New Jersey, and it's surrounded by neighbors who desire to ethnically cleanse Israel of all Jews. So tiny Israel must defend itself in order to survive. The terrorist organization Hezbollah, funded by Iran, is to Israel's north. The terrorist organization Hamas controls the Gaza Strip to Israel's south. And the former PLO, now Fatah, controls the land in the West Bank. The only place the Jews can flee is into the sea. So they have little option but to build security walls to keep terrorists from blowing themselves up in buses and restaurants in Israel. During the Intifada, which was about a five, six year period of uprising and terrorist activity in the land of Israel, I traveled to Israel about five times before the security fence was built. And there was over a 
thousand Jews who were slaughtered in suicide attacks. About 2,500 were maimed, losing noses, ears, arms, legs from the suicide bombs. So the notion that Israel is oppressing the Palestinians is just simply untrue. The Palestinian people are actually being oppressed by their own leaders who take the billions of dollars from European countries allotted to build schools and roads and hospitals uh, within the Palestinian territories. Instead, they use the money to build rockets and tunnels into Israel in order to murder more Jews. If the Palestinians lay down their weapons, there will be no more bloodshed. If the Jews dismantle the wall and lay down their weapons, there will be no more Jews. Another thing that drives anti-Israelism today on Christian college campuses is the return of replacement theology that is being taught in churches, seminaries, and Christian colleges. This old anti-Semitic heresy teaches that God has rejected the Jewish people and replaced them with the church as the new Israel. This theology led German Christians to annihilate six million Jews in the Holocaust. It died after the Holocaust, but has made a huge resurgence in the last 15 years. Based on the current trend that we are now seeing as we study this whole trend of anti-Israelism within Christianity, if Israel-loving Christians like you do not push back against this wave of hostility towards our elder Jewish brothers and sisters, we're looking at the evangelical movement to be anti-Israel within 10 years. How did I get involved in this movement? To help the growing tide of Growing anti-Semitism within Christianity? Well, here's my story in a nutshell. Bear with me for just a few minutes. My father was Jewish and passed away when I was four years old. He was killed by a drunk driver on his way to church. I was nurtured in my growing up years by my Jewish grandmother who had come to faith in Jesus as her Messiah. Her home was filled with Jewish humor, Jewish cooking, and Jewish singing. Most of her family had perished in the Holocaust. At a young age, I felt the call of the Lord upon my life to become a pastor. I went to a Christian university, and I majored in theology and pastoral ministry. Then I went to Wheaton Graduate School and received a master's degree in Christian education. Then I served in pastoral ministry for many years, all the while disregarding my Jewish roots and having no interest in Israel or the Jewish people. I'd become a churchman who actually preached replacement theology. Imagine that. Here I was, half Jew, half Gentile, with no comprehension of God's end-time purpose of restoring Israel and little to no interest in the subject. But God has a way of getting hold of a person's heart in 2002, sitting in my comfortable church office, minding my own business and not thinking about my Jewish heritage. The Holy Spirit filled me with an incredible passion to find my surviving family in Israel. I was undone. I was completely, totally bewildered. What was God saying to me? Why was he so concerned about something I saw no biblical value in? The very next day, I received a letter from the Israeli government inviting me to an all-expense-paid trip to Israel in the midst of terrorist attacks. Three weeks later, I found myself on an LL flight to Israel. It's interesting. I was going through the line to get on the plane, and I I had a ticket. I handed it to the... uh, to the uh, the person there taking the tickets for El Al. And uh, my ticket was sitting in coach. And I said, hey, would you happen to have a uh, an aisle seat? 
And he looked at me, did some typing, and he handed me another ticket. He said, I think you might like this seat better. I got on the plane. It was first class. And God has this remarkable sense of humor when he's trying to change someone's heart. I toured Israel with the government of Israel. I found my grandmother's family. They wrote my name into the family genealogy. They laid their hands on me, and they blessed me. And this started a journey of discovery. I wanted to know the destiny of Israel and how the nations have been grafted in to the nourishing sap of the olive tree, Israel. So I started writing. I wrote a book called The Decree of Esther. It's about the Feast of Purim that we're talking about today. I uh, wrote a book called The Forgotten Blessing, the blessing of uh, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh in the book of Genesis. And then I wrote a book with Coach Bill McCartney of Promise Keepers, two-minute warning why it's time to honor Jewish people before the clock runs out. Started traveling with Promise Keepers, and at the end of the the PK events and huge stadiums, uh, Coach McCartney would come to the platform. I would stand next to him, and I would say, Coach McCartney, when the days grow darker for the Jewish people worldwide, uh, will you be willing to do what the Jews had to do during the Holocaust. Upon their lapels and uh, their armbands were uh, placed a yellow star to segregate them from the rest of the population and designate them for, for the gas chambers. Would you be willing to stand with your Jewish friends unto death? And Coach McCartney would say yes. He would bow his knee and said, yes, I'm willing to wear the yellow star. I'd place a yellow star on the lapel of his jacket. And then we'd call uh, the men forward. And one event, there was 15,000 men that came forward, tears running down their cheeks as we placed on their uh, shirts the yellow star, signifying that they would stand with the Jewish people unto death. I remember one time after an event, it was in Orlando, Florida, uh, there was a huge group of uh, bikers that came, motorcycle bikers, and, and they, one man came up to me, a big burly guy with a le- leather jacket, and there was a yellow star in his leather jacket as he was sitting on his Harley, tears running down his cheeks, and he said, I've never known it until today, but from here on out, I'm going to stand with the Jewish people. So I began to see <clears throat> during this time how the mainline Christian denominations in Europe and America have disconnected from Israel. I read in Romans eleven seventeen through 24, where Paul warns Gentile Christians not to boast against the Jewish people, the natural branches of the olive tree. Paul warned that if the church, the engrafted branch, is jealous of the Jewish people and rejects them, they will be broken off of the nourishing sap of the olive tree as well. I began to see that as these denominations boasted, against Israel and Jewish people and rejected them by preaching replacement theology, they gradually moved into a progressive Christianity and broke away from the heart of the Christian faith. Today, these church movements are fighting literally to survive. I realized the last line of defense against progressive Christianity in Protestantism was for most part of the remnants of the evangelical movement to stand strong for Israel. But even there, I saw fractures when it came to embracing Israel in God's end time purposes. I discovered evangelical groups like Christ at the Checkpoint embracing an anti-Israel bias and calling for Jews who do not convert to Christianity to be driven out of the land of Israel. I began to see a wave of new anti-Israelism on Christian college campuses. I read surveys of Christian millennials who have a negative view of Israel. So here I was, half Jewish, half Gentile Christian, evangelical pastor, who realized that evangelicalism was going down the same path as the mainline liberal denominations in their stance towards Israel. 
And I concluded that if the church continues on this path based on the current trend, evangelicalism in America will be broken apart at the seams. As a churchman, a person who loves the church, I decided to do something. So in 2017, Israel Team was launched, and the passion that drives me today is a love for Israel and a love for the church and a desire to awaken Christians to their calling in the restoration of Israel in these last days of time. So that's my story. Someone once said, our stories become us. So if you're still listening, thank you for listening uh, to my story. So, all right, we're going to jump into this amazing principle today from the book of Esther, the Feast of Purim, the principle of deliverance and enlargement. It's a great word for you. It'll encourage you during this time of uh, the COVID pandemic. When I first studied the book of Esther, I discovered this wonderful truth. When you're facing extreme trial, God is not just focused on your deliverance through the trial, but also your growth and expansion when you come through. In the same way, when you are in the midst of a painful season, the Lord is not just focused on your restoration, but also on your restitution. In restoration, God brings back the things that were lost in the valley of pain. In restitution, God gives you extra for your pain and suffering through your long trial. For example, in 2 Kings 8, the story of the Shunammite woman and the famine. Because of the famine, the woman left her land for seven years. When she returned, she found that others had taken over her farmland. When the king heard her story, he ordered her land to be restored to her. That's restoration. But the king went one step further and proclaimed that all the proceeds from the produce grown in her field since the day she had left seven years prior would be paid in full to her. That's restitution. Deliverance and enlargement work the same way. Does God desire to deliver you from this present trial? Yes. And when he delivers you, an added benefit from our loving Father is that he enlarges your borders as well. Deliverance and enlargement. It's God's mercy in action towards his faithful children who remain steadfast through the trials. So when we come back, We're going to dive deeper into this wonderful principle of deliverance and enlargement. You can go to IsraelTeam.org, and uh, it's an informational website. Uh, You can learn all about anti-Semitism, replacement theology, uh, the growing trend of anti-Israelism on Christian college campuses. You can also catch this program on our podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. Uh, You can listen to all our archive podcasts. It would be a a wonderful teaching tool in your life and family. So we'll catch you on the other side on Israel and You. Hi, this is Aaron Free. I'm asking you today for your partnership in standing with Israel team as we turn the tide of the growing discontentment and contempt towards Israel on evangelical college campuses. The exponential rise of anti-Israelism within evangelicalism is breathtaking. One prominent evangelical megachurch pastor recently proclaimed in a sermon series to his young congregation that we need to unplug from the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. We also He also proclaimed that Christians need to distance themselves from any Jewish values taught 
taught in the Bible. This notion comes from a theological perspective known as replacement theology, supersessionism, triumphalism. It teaches that the church has replaced Israel, superseded Israel, and triumphed over Israel, and that ultimately God has no further use for the Jewish people or the land of Israel. This theology is now spreading like a cancer through evangelical colleges. If nothing is done to push back against this growing trend, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel within 10 years. Your tax-deductible gift to Israel team advocates will help us communicate God's love for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses. Beginning now through the month of March, Israel team is offering a two-book set for your tax-deductible gift of $50 or more. The first book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti-Semitism and What Can Be Done to Stop It. There's 16 authors, including Jay Sekulow, the chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice. The second book, Two-Minute Warning, Why It's Time to Honor Jewish People Before the Clock Runs Out, is a book I co-wrote with Coach Bill McCartney from Promise Keepers. This book talks about the roots of replacement theology within Christianity. When good people like you become more aware of these growing trends and stand in unison together, the cancer of contempt towards our Jewish friends might well be reversed. Go to IsraelTeam.org to the donate section and we'll send this two book set out to you for a donation of $50 or more. That's IsraelTeam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back. Israel and you, we're talking today about this wonderful principle, deliverance and enlargement from the book of Esther, the Feast of Esther or the Feast of Purim. We've all faced a difficult season the last year or so, but be encouraged. God's deliverance is coming. God's enlargement is on the way. It's what I call God's trademark plan of escape for his children. We see this dynamic principle played out in several feasts of Israel. Passover, for example. God delivers the Jews from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and in so doing, he promises them a land flowing with milk and honey. What is amazing to me is that the children of Israel believed God for their deliverance, but when it came to their expansion in the promised land, they had unbelief and didn't go into the large borders God had prepared for them. I think the same can be true for us. We can believe God to help us through a trial, deliver us out of the trial, but we often can't believe that he desires to expand us through our trials. We can believe for restoration, but sometimes we just can't believe for God's restitution. I encourage you today to accept God's dual program of both deliverance and enlargement. In the book of Esther, the Jews had been scheduled for annihilation by the evil Haman, a commander and advisor to the king of Persia. Esther, a young Jewish girl, has been chosen by the king to be his wife. When Esther's uncle, Mordecai, learns of the plot to murder all of the Jews in the 127 provinces of Persia, basically a mission to ethnically cleanse the entire earth from Jews. He appeals to Queen Esther to go before the king and plead the cause of the Jewish people. Esther was initially reluctant because there was a good chance she would have been put to death if she approached the king in his court without an invitation. So in Esther 4.14, Mordecai lays out God's program of deliverance and enlargement. 
For if you remain completely silent at this time, here's what Mordecai says, enlargement and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai had such a profound faith in the mercy of God in the midst of a terrible trial that he not only believed that the Jews would be delivered, but also expand and fulfill God's purpose through the Jews to preserve God's word, his covenants and promises, and ultimately usher in the Messiah. Think of it. If Haman's plots are fulfilled, the seed of Abraham will be completely destroyed. Mordecai is confident that God will provide a way of escape because Israel's history has proven to him time and time again that God's grace to his people in times of peril always expresses itself in two ways, deliverance and enlargement. Look at the life of Joseph. He is delivered out of the pit of death and sold as a slave to Potiphar. God expands his influence, and he is placed in charge of everything Potiphar owns. Next, he is delivered from the temptation of adultery from Potiphar's wife. He is falsely accused, thrown into prison. God enlarges his influence, and he is placed in charge of the entire prison. Then God delivers Joseph from the prison and enlarges his influence once again. He is placed in charge of Pharaoh's palace and given rule over all the land of Egypt. Under Joseph's leadership, Egypt becomes the breadbasket of the world in a terrible famine, and Joseph goes global, reaches into other nations, saving his own family and the seed of Abraham in the process. What is this program called? Deliverance and enlargement. Take the life of David. He is a shepherd boy whose influence extends to a few sheep in the hill country of Bethlehem. David faces a lion and a bear in hand-to-hand combat. From the lion and the bear, his influence grows, and he faces a giant of a man. Here is how David responds to King Saul's question when Saul says, how in the world are you going to defeat this giant Goliath? David's simple response is this, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from this uh, Philistine as well. Deliverance and enlargement. In David's lifetime, he is delivered from a lion, a bear, a giant warrior, a jealous king, a son who betrays him. Each deliverance brings greater influence and enlargement. He becomes king over all of Israel and ultimately influences all of human history for the Messiah would reign from the throne of David. Does David understand God's deliverance and enlargement mandate and program? Yes. In Psalm 4.1, David says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have enlarged me when I was in distress. In Psalm 18.36-37, David proclaims, You enlarge my path under me. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. So we can see this principle of deliverance and enlargement all through Jewish history. We can see it as well in modern Jewish history. A quick glance at Israel's modern day history, beginning with its war of independence in 1948, confirms God's program of deliverance and enlargement is still in progress. Each time Israel has been attacked, Its army has been severely outnumbered and outgunned. Yet in each major war, not only has Israel been delivered, but its landmass has been enlarged by thousands of square miles. When Israel was established as a nation, it considered 
uh, consisted of 3,000 square miles. After the War of Independence in 1948, its borders more than doubled in size to 8,000 square miles, deliverance and enlargement. After the 1967 Six-Day War, Israel's landmass increased to 26,000 square miles. And after the 1973 Yom Kippur War, it increased to 36,000 square miles. Keep in mind that Israel never wanted war. They were always attacked uh, by their neighbors. When the state of Israel was established a little more than 70 years ago, there were fewer than a million people living in the land. Today, there are 6 million Jewish people living in the land of Israel. How is this happening? It's God's mandate of both deliverance and enlargement. So it's vital as children of God that we recognize our trials are only temporary. This, this plague we're going through is temporary. Are you in a difficult season? Take heart. Uh, it's bound to change. You will not be stuck in a tough spot forever. Prepare now for the enlargement of your influence. Deliverance and enlargement are on the rise on your behalf. If you have fallen, yes, you will rise again. Maybe you're in Joseph's pit of despair. It's okay. We've all been there, done that. I even got the t-shirt one time after going through a long, long trial. Start crawling up the sides of your pit if you have to. And as long as you are in there, don't live your life in the rearview mirror. You can't change your past. Prepare now in today's pit for tomorrow's promotion. It's coming. You can be sure of it. Mordecai in the book of Esther in the Feast of Purim, he was sure of it. Maybe you're facing the line of temptation. Scripture teaches that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking out people to destroy. Maybe Potiphar's wife is trying to ruin your good testimony. Remember, if you will stay true to God when tested by the line of temptation, your deliverance and promotion are sure to follow. Maybe you're working for a boss who seems to embody the spirit of Saul. He belittles and attacks you constantly. Filled with pride and jealousy, he's made you into a target. Take heart. This too shall pass. Continue to show respect and never pay back evil for evil. Perhaps you will soon be, he will soon be gone and you will have his position. Go out and buy a can of lemon pledge and some window cleaner. You say, Aaron, why would I do that? You might have the corner office soon. You're going to need to shine the desk and, and clean the windows in your new corner office. As a former pastor, I can tell you numerous stories of men and women who faced all kinds of circumstances just like these, yet they continued to pray for those who were persecuting them. In time, they were not only delivered, but also enlarged and promoted. Oh yes, they went through some really difficult waters, but in the midst of the storm, they remained true to their faith and God honored them. I remember uh, one time many years ago, a uh, a young uh, businessman came to my office and he said, you know, I think because of my Christian faith, there are so many in my office that are repelled by me. They're, they're doing everything they can to, to you know, turn the, the company against me. I said, listen, just hang in there and uh, pray for those that persecute you. You know, don't leave. Don't leave your post. Uh, you know, stay there. And, you know, after several years, the man was promoted and then he was promoted again. They started seeing his giftings just flowing out of him. Today, he's the president of this huge uh, company because he remained truthful to God and faithful to God in the midst of his trial. Even when he was betrayed, he remained faithful. So perhaps as, as happened to David of old, someone very close to you is betraying you. 
For David, it was his son Absalom who tried to take the kingdom from him. I think that betrayal is the most difficult trial to bear, but you can take heart even in betrayal because God's deliverance and enlargement ministry works here as well. In fact, there is a special blessing uh, for those who are betrayed. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to do part two of deliverance and enlargement in our next program. But in the meantime, you can go to IsraelTeam.org if you'd like to order these two new books uh, that we have for you this month. Uh, You can go to IsraelTeam.org to the donate section and for a a gift of $50 or more, we'll send you uh, this brand new book, The Casualty of Contempt and Two-Minute Warning. We'll see you on the other side at Israel and You.